he tasks me. I just, I just love that bit. Admiral. <laughs> Admiral. <laughs> Admiral Wikis. <laughs> Admiral Kirk. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. All right. Well, uh, enough of that. Well, <laughs> welcome to the Tap Geeks podcast. Uh, my name is Kelly. Oh, my name's Ian. I didn't know we were recording. Oh, that's fine. We're recording now. Oh, good. Yeah, we're good to go. Good. Uh, we got a new beer. It's kind of new. It's been on shelves for a little while as of the time of this recording. Uh, this guy is a 1985 IPA from New Belgium Brewing Company. Uh, this one should be available nationwide. So if you're curious about drinking this along with us, then go pick one up and come back. Pause is a thing. Let's get into it. Press pause, hit the gauze, and let's go back to 1980 faux pas. <laughs> Before us, we have the uh, the new Belgium uh, 1985. Before I knew about this beer, uh, well, I guess I should say, how should I put this? I got ad targeted for this beer very early on on Instagram. Um, whoever's running their, uh, you know, like brand campaign for the Voodoo Ranger certainly knows what they're doing. And it sounds like they have a fair amount of money to spend. Uh, it, it, I mean, right from the can, I mean, you've got like the cartoony kind of, you know, uh, Ranger, I think going on. Yeah. And they've, they've dressed him up, you know, very 1985 as they put it, you know, with very, he's wearing a a neon Cobra Kai esque, uh, jacket. Yeah. He's got a, he's got a fucking fanny pack. I did not realize that before. Just going to say that. Yeah. I see the fanny pack and everything. He's got the neon fanny pack. So they He's don't got put the... go they on. Don't put canned on dates on their cans, but they do put expiration dates on them. So this is early July. We're drinking this, and the expiration is uh, early October. So August, September, October. So I'm willing to say that this beer is probably a month old. They probably have a four month shelf life on it. They might even have a six month shelf life on it. I don't know, but I w- I'm willing yeah. to bet it's four month shelf life, and that this isn't like super duper fresh. Well, the nose is very bright still. So the appearance is pleasing. Um, here's the thing. It's a hazy mango IPA. Um, yeah. And it doesn't say that from the outside and we should have started with that, but this voodoo ranger is a hazy mango IPA. And at no, I mean, there's, it just says 1985 IPA on the outside, 6.7% alcohol on the front, nowhere on the front of this can does it say anything about hazy mango? But Ian, if you turn to the side of your can, neither hazy nor mango. Writing, small writing above the barcode. It says, "Yeah, IPA with mango flavor and spice." Oh yeah, India Pale Ale with mango flavor and spice. Yep, you're right. Real small there. I wonder what kind of spice they're uh, boasting. That is interesting. You're right. I, I'm not exactly sure. Oh, shit. Just <laughs> dropped the box. But I looked at the box, all over the box, and I was trying to find 
anything that would say something about you know like uh why it was called 1985 um you know what style of beer it was other than IPA and on the so on on the box there's the side panel the the butt ends the bottom and then the top where the finger holes usually are depending on what brand yeah and where on the top that's where it said hazy mango IPA okay so again like they're not really driving home the mango thing i bought it and didn't realize it was mango until i got it home yeah it's a it's a bit of a mystery why certain breweries are doing that uh, not not noting that their beer is hazy or a New England style or unfiltered. Uh, it's, it just kind of boggles my mind because some people just do not want that. And, they, you know, they do not want that style of beer. And, uh, but maybe it's, <laughs> it, whatever, you know, it's obviously working. <laughs> whatever the reasoning behind it. But um, yeah, we were kind of baffled by that. We were kind of baffled uh, that uh, we have no idea why this beer is called 1985. There's, there's no ex- explanation to be found about it. It's just, ah, just cause it's cool. <laughs> I mean, pretty much. Um, I mean, even in some of the ads that I've seen, um, it's just, uh this same cartoon from the can um yeah but it's like the the animation style is kind of like very like kind of the best way to describe it is kind of like archer right and it's just like hey man stuck in 1985 you know and i don't know but it doesn't say why at all and there are some other folks already reviewing this beer it looks like on youtube um oh let's see I'm trying to see if I can't find a commercial for it. Yeah, here we go. New Belgium Brewing, uh, 1985 Voodoo Ranger. And uh, you'll have to tell me, you'll be able to hear this, but let me just share my screen really fast. All right. Can you see my screen now? Uh, Ben's, or no, I still see you. Uh, Now I see your screen. Gotcha. So let's, let's check this one out. I think this was one of the first ads I saw before the beer had actually released that looks like a tron-esque spaceship oh this is for the oh it's the starship beers that was the last beer that they discontinued okay new high school 1985 coming soon so he was playing a galaga-esque game and he got the high score of 1985 and it's like, and I guess like the, it was, that was them trying to say kind of like game over for the last beer because the last beer was like Starship Ranger or something. Which is funny because I'm pretty sure Galaga came out before 1985, but we're not going to go there. We should go there later. We have some yeah, video we'll, we'll go time. there later for Let's sure. A little bit more about uh, 1985. So, so see kind of like the Archer <laughs> animation. Yeah. It's definitely in the in the similar line art style of Archer, and yeah. it's got a very retro like digital eight bit vibe as well, which and is highly a, appropriate. There's a couple of other ads. Obviously, they're not here right now, but um, yeah, no, like I, I just that for for that. 
I guess what I'm getting I, at is that there's still no information. Like there's, I, I have two working cool. theories hmm. as to why they call this 1985 and they decided to go with this uh, campaign. Uh, the first one is probably the most reasonable one, and that's because the 80s are just... Because of Stranger Things, the 80s are just, like, boundingly popular, more and more so, as we keep hark, you know, keep on going back to them in, uh, in, in, in pop culture uh, as of recent. And uh, I, I'm not mad at it. <laughs> I'm not either. Yeah. No, I just, um, I, I enjoy the branding. I enjoy the beer. We'll get into that. Um, but I, I'm, I'm just so curious because like, I don't know. I just, I would like to see that it wasn't just branding for branding's sake. Like you yeah. said, even the most recent season of Stranger Things season three, I, I believe was it, it, they've caught up into 1985. Now I think it's 1985 in the last season. Uh-huh. So like, that year is definitely really popular. Styles from that year are popular. A lot of retro tech right now is, uh, from that year is popular right now. Uh, and a lot of crazy things happen that year, and we'll get into that. But uh, I would just like it if maybe it was like, oh, like, you know, that's, that's when we had the idea for the brewery or, or like something, like something to tie back to something that makes yeah. sense. Like why you or like, or like who's, who, uh, you know, among the uh, founders or whatever, or, maybe the brewmaster who is like tied to that per year in particular. It just seems like there would be somebody. My other working theory is that they discovered that their demographic is uh, people who grew up in the eighties. <laughs> they're like, they're like maybe their primary demographic or something. I don't know. Just, to, just that's, that's my sub theory. Possibly uh, because it would be, this beer would be uh, attractive to the folks that grew up during that time and the folks that didn't. I mean, like, I was born uh, in the late 80s. I wasn't born by 89. Um, I know... Uh, yeah, we're 90s like, kids. Yeah, no, we grew up in the 90s, right? I mean, yeah. we were a product of the 80s, but, you know... We were we, pooped we, out, we were pooped out in the late 90s. 80s, but we're 90s kids. Yeah, and but so... We're, but we're the we 90s appreciate kids. All of it. Yeah, we're the kind of 90s kids who felt the 80s bleed over. Yes. So we still appreciate it, like, heavily. I love the 80s. And you know what's funny is, like, some of it does, like, I, I like the way you said that. There is a bit of bleed over because, like, when you played with toys, et cetera, you know, the, the gaming systems of the time weren't exactly super-duper outdated, you know, when we started playing gaming systems. Like, you know, like... No. <laughs> stuff, stuff like that. Like, we, we played with all of those things or we had siblings or family members, like somebody, you know, like it, that stuff. It wasn't that long a time before we were old enough to start playing with, you know, some of the toys that were relevant in the 80s. So, but anyway, uh, and, and again, I think your theory is absolutely correct because, I mean, other than like, hey, here's something topical we're cool right like that's the only reasoning <laughs> for it it's like i don't know yeah i'm sure that there's got to be something more and that's and i wish it was on the packaging and it's not and i'm making a bigger deal of it than i than i probably should even but i just i find it fascinating because it is really I, good well, branding and i just wish that i could find a concrete reason behind it on the packaging but it's just it's not there no i'm right there with you um i'm right there with you it's it's, it's become a deep mystery for me <laughs> But uh, it's got a modest 6.7%. Uh, 
uh, and it's super crushable. Yes. And it tastes like the eighties. It's bright. Uh, tastes a little, it's tastes a little, I don't know. It has this weird kind of like, dare I say powdered tang vibe. <laughs> Maybe that's the spice. They, they threw in some powdered tang. <laughs> You're not wrong there. There is something about it that tastes kind of like, um, I don't know, like, like a flavor mix, so to speak. Yeah. Kind of the way like Kool-Aid feels, you know? Yeah. Like an orange Kool-Aid or something like that. Like a little bit. Um, Either way, we 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 both agreed that this that this beer was like camping haze, and you could just you could eat, you could crush these super easily. Uh, and you get mango and kind of orange on the nose. Um, yeah, there's very low bitterness. I think the IBUs are at thirty. Um, it's just it's super crushable. You can drink it ice cold when it warms up. It's not too bad either. You can drink it out of a glass and. Dare I say you could even jump at it straight out of the can. Um, I think that was their goal here, and they they nailed that goal. Um, I agree one hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's definitely a, a decent beer. It's a decent beer, uh, and it's and it is unique. I think it would qualify to wear those uh, Technicolored Kanye glasses. But uh, I don't know. A little bit about New Belgium before we get into the the, the year 1985, which I'd like to talk about a little bit further. But uh, I got some uh, notes here on New Belgium that I found on the internet. And um, I pulled some things from brewbound.com and uh, a little bit of uh, uh, New Belgium's wiki. Um, New Belgium opened in 1991, uh, founded by Kim Jordan and Jeff Labesh, if I'm saying that correct. Uh, husband and wife, if I'm not mistaken. Um, in 1991, in Fort Collins, Colorado, the company expanded to Asheville, North Carolina in 2016. And Denver, a lot of breweries uh, from Colorado typically have you know operations in North Carolina. I think it's the water. Um, yeah. And then, uh, let's see, in 2018, uh, in Denver, so their second location in, in Colorado, it is now the fourth largest brewery in the U.S. as of the time of that uh, posting. Uh, as of 2019, uh, they sold a majority stake to uh, Kieran Brands. It is owned by Kieran Ishiban Brands. Um, so it's, I don't think it would be considered independent craft now. But uh, And their cans on some uh, Fat Tire Amber Ale, which they're best known for, um, actually still boast that it's employee-owned. I'm not sure how that works. I'm sure a lot of employees still have shares, but it looks like the Madrill steak is owned by Kieran, Kieran. Brands. Now. <laughs> um, I don't, yeah, I don't know how the, the, uh, I don't know how that works, but uh, whatever. It's yeah. still beer. Uh, still drinkable beer. Yeah. Ranger 1985 IPA. We got a hazy IPA, like totally loaded with juicy mango flavor. 1985 takes you back to the future of hazy IPAs. Buckle up. That's straight from their website. Uh, from their website, it says the aroma should be mango pineapple guava with a flavor of slightly sweet juicy mango that fades into moderate bitterness and lingers slightly. 
Uh, beer facts here. Uh, we got 6.7% uh, alcohol with an IBU of 30 with Citra, Simcoe, and Cascade hops being used. Pale malt, oats, and wheat. And uh, under what they call special processing, mango goodness. Uh, a little bit from Brewbound <laughs> here, uh, talking a bit about the uh, kind of, and again, no explanation as to why it's called 1985, but just, you know, some notes on the brand launch here. New Belgium's Voodoo Ranger portfolio just leveled up. The entire Voodoo Ranger portfolio is up to 40, uh, sorry, is up 40% versus last year. And the rotating series, uh, the number one craft brand launched in 2019, is now New Belgium's fifth best selling brand. 1985 IPA is the newest release in the series and is bursting with juicy mango, pineapple, and guava flavors and aromatics. This bright fruit flavored IPA showcases a refreshing flavor and is slightly lower ABV for bodacious drinkability. Uh, when asked about the latest release uh, of Voodoo Ranger Rotator, Ross uh, Koenigs, if I'm saying that correctly, uh, research and development brewer at New Belgium, said, for 1985 IPA, we wanted to make a hazy IPA to crush during summertime. 1985 uses loads of citrus Simcoe hops and then dials up the fruit factor with the addition of mango. Uh, the result is an impossibly juicy and drinkable IPA arriving just in time for summer. Availability nationwide in early May in 12-ounce cans and on draft. And per this website, it says the suggested retail price is about $10.99 per six-pack. So that's pretty fair. Um, let's see. Yeah, that's it. That's all I've got on the beer. Uh, Ian, do you have any thoughts about that? Um, my thoughts are uh, I have to go back to the whole camping beer thing. It's, it's exactly what they describe. But, like, just for me, like – if I'm going to be like partying and dancing and, you know, possibly playing volleyball or something, <laughs> I don't know if I want a hazy IPA. It's very easy going for a hazy, but um, that's just my personal thing, you know, mm -hmm. but hey, yeah, you know, well, I don't know. It's, it's crushable and it's kind of reminiscent of like a, like an island cocktail. I get a lot of those uh, those fruity notes that they were boasting. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just not my favorite. There's just there's just something about it that I I'm just not feeling tonight. <laughs> I'm feeling it enough to drink it. Like like it it is crushable. But um, would I revisit this? I don't think so. Super crushable. Um, I bought a six pack intending to record this episode weeks ago, and then I drank it over the course of a week, and we never got around to it. So this is actually my second six pack. Uh, <laughs> but um, I don't hate it. I don't yeah. hate that we're that we're gonna you know roll through twelve of these. Um, no. Yeah, no, because like you said, it is very drinkable, and uh, you know, like and, and and people that we know are are fans of it. Uh, there are some folks that are out there, you know, uh, hunting for it, looking for it, et cetera. Um, there, there's some people we know that I, that I've seen that, that, that are just like insanely obsessed with this beer. And, uh, that's, that's really cool. I hope, I hope it, uh, you know, I hope it's a gateway beer for a lot of people. I think so too. I think it will be. And on top of that, I'd like to add that I feel this would have been successful without the mango. 
Yeah, uh, I agree. Uh, because that's a that's an additive, right? That's mm-hmm. a, like an adjunct flavor, and they're very vague about how they achieved it. <laughs> yeah, I forget I forget the terminology they used, but uh, mango goodness. <laughs> what exactly mango. is that? Taste <laughs> of mango goodness. You know it's in there. It does not say. Does it? Say, it didn't say they used real fruit. So that 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 kind of like. Uh, um, annoys me i mean yeah but i've known a lot of beers to not use real fruit and i've known a lot of them to use real fruit um i just feel like if you're gonna go that though i i just i just think i don't know it's just more respectful to use real fruit or just try to get your hands on hops that produce that kind of flavor I think so too. It's it's one of the things that I enjoy about like um I remember like Twenty First Amendment, like uh I was talking to some of those guys once and Yeah, and, hell or uh, I. Well yeah, and well I asked them. Uh, I was at the tasting room in uh, uh the San Francisco area and I asked uh do you guys use, you know, like extracts or like natural fruit or like, you know, you know, and, and they told me that it was all natural. Yeah. And I was like, and that and that could be like misconstrued, but but so so you know I mean perhaps I've got I wrong, believe it because but because it tastes somewhat rindy yeah like you you get that like that rindiness that like that natural flavor and I'm not getting that with this uh, but that's fine because that's that's 1985 1980s the 80s were not about natural flavors <laughs> in the slightest. <laughs> That was like the era of like easy, like fast, easy, cheap, cocaine. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, cocaine. Uh, <laughs> no, so this this is this is the perfect beer to champion that. I think it's not bad. I'm happy with it. Um, I'm glad I bought it twice. Um, it's easy to drink. Uh, it's marketed exactly the right way. And for what it is, I feel like it's at the right price. Um, yeah. if you're curious about this beer, I highly recommend, uh, going out and making your own opinion. Um, I, uh, I recommend it. I think, I think it's a great, uh, first time buy. And, uh, for our purposes, uh, we have a second time buy here, but, uh, yeah, oh, not bad. If you're gonna go watch a movie from the '80s with uh, with a friend, or you know your cat or dog, or whatever, uh, I recommend you buying this beer for enjoying those purposes or something. I don't know. I can't word today. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, about the year 1985, a lot happened that year. Like a lot, a lot. Uh, yeah. I mean, is there anywhere you'd like to start in particular? I mean, I've got a list of movies here, or did you want to start someplace else? Well, we were just talking about movies, so go go ahead and go ahead and get on the movie train. All right. So I took a look at the box office for the year 1985, and it looks like quite a few movies uh, were released that year. Movies that have stood the test of time. Oh yeah, um, like a lot of iconic films released in the year 1985. Quite a year, quite a few years in the 80s. I mean, uh, iconic music, iconic 
films. Uh, for, I mean, just wow, this list really blew me away. Uh, in no particular order, um, uh, films released in the year 1985 with the average ticket price of $3.55 at the box office. Wow. Fucking rad. Do you imagine just going and seeing a movie for three fifty-five? Yeah, <laughs> no big deal. Now, <laughs> now the average movie ticket I feel is like like a thirteen to eighteen dollars, depending on what format you want to watch it in. Yeah, crazy. But, uh, we had movies like Clue, Back in May Day. Go ahead, Hoonies, <laughs> uh, The Breakfast Club, Commando. Legend, Weird Science, Real Genius, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, Return of the Living Dead, The Explorers, James Bond, A View to a Kill, (laughs) Cat's Eye, Fright Night, The Stuff, Day of the Dead. I mean, like, and the list really does go on. Uh, I kind of had to stop it somewhere. Otherwise, I just keep reading forever. Um, but top grossing movies of 1985, um, at the top of the list of, uh, you know, no surprise is Back to the Future uh, with the July 3rd, 1985 release date from Universal uh, with the 1985 gross of $193,144,445 dollars. Um, with uh, 54 uh, million tickets sold. A little over, almost 50, yeah, a little over 50 million. So That was was good back then. Oh, yeah. Uh, Right after that, Rambo First Blood Part 2 at about 150 million. Uh, First Blood. Beverly Hills Cop at 130 million. Dream is Alive at uh, 125 million. And then Rocky IV. At uh, 105 million. Right on, right on. Yeah. Uh, Dreams alive. There was there's only one until you came to that one. There was only one movie I haven't seen on that whole list. But what, what is Dreams Alive? Uh, you know I don't know. Let's see. Um, <laughs> Let's see if I can't find it. The Dream is Alive on Wikipedia. It was an IMAX film. Uh, it's a documentary that includes scenes from numerous shuttle missions, beginning with the dawn of the landing of Discovery at Kennedy Space Center's shuttle landing facility upon the conclusion of the uh, STS-51A. A composite shot of the finished sequence is composed from footage of, uh, from Discovery's landing. Radio transmissions from Challenger's 1984 landing on STS-41B, the first mission to use the SLF runway, and the runway approach footage filmed from a fixed-wing craft. So, <laughs> The Dream is Alive was an IMAX film. I think I'm, I probably have seen that if, it, if it's ever aired on, like, the Science Channel or, like, the NASA Channel or whatever. It was just, it was all about astronauts. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty rad. I have a, I have a commercial from 1985 queued up, and it, it and it, uh, I think it would be perfect to play here if you if you don't mind, just really quick. Sure, yeah, you're welcome to share a screen. Let's do it. I'm, it's not a screen share, but uh, it's it's coming off of my. I have my PlayStation queued up, so just, oh, okay, awesome. Uh, it'll just be audio. It might be shitty audio, so bear with it, please. Is it really possible to suffer cold symptoms in space? You bet it is. It happened to me on Apollo Seven, and it could happen on the new space shuttles too. 
That's why all my U.S. space flies carry Actifed. Even in space, Actifed relieves a stuffy nose and sinuses, runny nose and sneezing. But you don't have to travel into space to get full strength Actifed. It's available without a prescription right here on Earth. Actifed, the cold tablet most recommended by doctors. Now in capsules and 12-hour capsules. <laughs> what the fuck is Actifed? <laughs> What is Actifed? I've like never heard Dayquil. of that. It sounds like Dayquil back in the day. Actifed. So that was a uh, Wally Shira. Uh, Apollo. Hold on. Apollo Seven Commander. <laughs> what the fuck? I was uh, I was watching uh, 1985 commercials on YouTube to get in the mood. Okay. And I and I and I, I knew at one point you were going to talk about. It's something to do with space. So I was like, I'm going to cue this one up because <laughs> I don't know. It's just something about the, the, the medicine named Actifed that just, <laughs> it just sounds like it's from a movie that that's from the eighties and it's not, it's not a real thing, but it, I guess it was. Fucking crazy. Fun stuff, right? Carry on. Man, I gotta tell you, the the I dig the nostalgic uh, uh, commercials. Like <laughs> some of that <laughs> shit is pretty funny, and it really does. Like, it, it's always a nice touch for like a, a a movie or like something something that's using like '80s nostalgia. Like like when you're watching something like um, Stranger Things or something like that, and you see yeah them using like old commercials that are like real like old commercials from back in the day like yeah i don't know like i feel like that's the bigger time machine right like advertising is such a big part of everyone's life and like how advertising affects you how you perceive the world around you is very much affected by people's you know efforts to advertise to you right uh, yeah, America started that, by the way, uh, like uh, Great Britain, you know, had commercials uh, when TV first started, uh, but they they actually abolished them for like a like a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. But like, uh, but USA was just like commercial centric television. Mm-hmm. Um, so every 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 show you ever you've ever seen was, you know, it was designed to have commercials within it. Um, absolutely so yeah 100%. I mean, like, even even when you watch some like sitcom style stuff on netflix it's weird because like sometimes it's edited for commercial breaks yeah but there's no commercials on netflix so right. it's like Just like I, I feel dark. like they were like future proofing <laughs> themselves like if they ever sold the rights to a show to a different network or if one day there's a free version of Netflix that comes with ads, you know, or like a, or fade like away. a price point standard definition version of Netflix where like you have commercial, almost like Hulu's entry level thing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I feel like that's what they were doing. Could but be. again, like you said, like everything is edited to add commercials. Yeah. With, you know, like eighties nostalgia movies or, or nostalgia movies from any time. It's just really interesting to see like the ads of the time, because like it, it for uh it's it's that little extra touch that adds to how you see the world through the eyes of the people at that time i just feel like it, it just it's a nice little touch that little so much, yeah you're so right honestly yeah i just feel like night the years 1985 to 1995 probably just 
encapsulated that uh, cons- American consumerism at its peak. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I know that's before the iPhone and whatnot, but uh, but yeah, I just I don't know, man. Nostalgia. Hundred percent. Yeah, it's crazy. I got the people history pulled up right now, but did you have anything to throw in on this one before we move on? Yeah, there was one other other movie on that list that I hadn't seen, and oh, I okay. feel I feel ashamed a little bit because I'm a horror buff, but I've never seen the stuff. Wait a second, you've never seen it either? No. Okay. Do you well, want to rectify this tonight? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, we're we're definitely gonna sit down and watch this movie. Okay. I'm fascinated by the trailers and I think it's on Amazon prime right now. Um, I think we should definitely do an episode about the stuff uh, simply okay. because it's, it's, it's uh, a little bit more rel- I feel like it's going through a second life right now with people like you and I, especially folks that are like really into horror, like yourself, like, like old nostalgic horror. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, I think that would be super cool to do. And uh, I've got a fun way we can probably do it. Um, okay. But I'd like to involve Oreos. And Ooh, I'd like to get double-stuffed double Oreos stuff. and French press them over an aged stout. I am two down and Barbara <laughs> Walters for that. I am two downs and Barbara Walters. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That'd be so much fun. I, I I would love to do actually a beer and Oreos pairing and commentary for the stuff. I think that'd be awesome. Very down. Yeah, I heard you mention uh, uh, Return of the Living Dead. That's my favorite on the list. Uh, and then Fright Night. Fright Night. Don't get me started on how good that movie is. And it's like, I've, it, like so many people have not seen it. Uh and it's just amazing. It's it's in the top three vampire movies of all time, in my opinion. Not even top five, just like top three. Go see it, please, everybody. Did you ever see the Anton Yelchin remake? Yeah, and I, I and I and I actually love it. Uh, it's it's not the best movie ever made, but uh, it's got fucking uh, Doctor Who in it. Yes. it's got Anton Yelchin. It's got Imogen Poots. Uh, who's incredibly beautiful and just rad. Agreed. And uh, it's a great movie. I, I could have done without the CGI vampire effects, but other than that, bong bong. I think that movie could have like uh, future-proofed itself by not using a lot of the CG stuff that it uses. Yeah. But I enjoy the characters. Um that was during a, a, like a period of Yelchin's career, like where he was doing like a, just like a lot of, a lot of like B, B and C stuff that was like being really well made. Um, yeah. It, like he was in another movie. Odd, Odd around Thomas. The same time. Yeah. Odd Thomas. He did that right around the same a time. Great movie. Kind of movie. Kinda the same vein as John dies at the end. Uh huh. It's a really offbeat, uh, like paranormal movie. And uh, it was, it's just a rad little love story. Uh, like, like young kids in love uh, meets fucking the ghost whisperer or something. It's, it's pretty awesome. It's, it's great. Very it's entertaining. Good. It's like, it's, it's a little heartwarming, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's such a tragedy. Uh, uh, yeah. Yelchin, Yelchin's passing. It's 
fucking awful. One hundred percent. Yeah. Plus, I mean, like, I mean, him being the uh, cast as, um, uh, oh God, I'm embarrassing myself. Yeah, he's he's. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I know who you're talking about. It's like, Commander Commander Wickes. No. Right. No. No. What, what am I? What, what the fuck am I talking about? <laughs> Oh my god, it's just a it's a brain fart. But anyway, yeah. he, he's he's in Star Trek and, and like they're talking about possibly making another one. And it Mr. feels Spock, like are you a vampire? <laughs> are you a vampire? <laughs> they're they're somewhere in between Chekhov. Um, Chekhov. Why do I, why do I keep saying Commander Wickes? Is that because he says that in the movie? Because he's looking for nuclear vessels. Oh, okay. Wessels. <laughs> nuclear nuclear vessels, yeah. No, uh, <laughs> in Alameda? No. Uh, <laughs> you know what's funny is is uh, he never really see, in the original films he he never really seemed Russian to me. He seemed Hispanic. Like, oh yeah, uh, in the in the show the especially. Yeah, I I could growing up as a, as an ignorant kid, I was just like that. That's a Hispanic person. <laughs> yeah, no, hundred percent. But like now, like I'm older, and I'm just like, oh okay, Russian. Yeah. Got it. All right. Yeah, but uh, it, it just seemed uh, his accent, for whatever reason, like it, it like rides a line. Uh, it does. Uh, but, but <laughs> Anton's does not ride a line. No. Uh, he spent a lot of time, I guess, with his grandparents, who are uh, Russian immigrants. Yeah, and uh, and he got to know a lot of their accent by just. I mean, I guess he knew it his whole life, but he really, you know, dove into spending some time with his. Uh, uh, elders there to try to like leech off as as much of that as he could and talk like them, etc. And he does a really good job in Star Trek, and it's just so terrible because now that Paramount's on this like, they're it feels like they're between possibly doing uh, another Kelvin timeline, if you will, like Abrams picture, or they could be trying to completely go in a new direction and and and. <laughs> a completely new star trek film that has nothing you know what to do i you know what him. i see happening i i see another kelvin timeline where captain picard interacts with them somehow <sighs> and they and they could <laughs> mark do my it. words they could do it and here's why because the i guess the script for the third film or sorry the fourth film was supposed to be like a time travel adventure because in the in the first one you have a time travel adventure right uh, the timeline is skewed. We're working with different timelines. You know, uh, there's elderly folks, et cetera. Like you can bring in all characters, right? Like the way it was set up was really set up for success where you could pay homage to the old stuff and transition into the new stuff whilst not offending anyone. So they were playing it safe. Uh, the second film uh, goes a little bit further into that, uh, into the new stuff, eh, a little rocky. Third one feels like an episode, really well written. Um, uh, Peg is to thank for that. And then, you move into, um, well, well, I guess what they were thinking about doing was having the fourth uh, film be the final film of the Kelvin timeline and having it be where they fix the timelines, et cetera, and things go back to normal. Um, and it was supposed to star Chris Helmsworth, which is, you know, uh, Kirk's dad in the series uh, from yeah. the first one. And he was supposed to come back and it was supposed to be a father-son travel through time kind of adventure where they fix the timeline or something like that. But that was supposed to be what it was going to be about. And uh, I guess when they talked to, uh, you know, uh, Hemsworth, Hemsworth and, and Chris Pine, they were just like, oh, well, they wanted more money. 
because <laughs> since they had those roles, they've done a whole lot more since then, and they're worth a whole lot more. And Paramount was like, nah. And I'm like, fuck, man. Like, that movie would have been great. Like, I hope we yeah. get something really great out of waiting longer because I really wanted to see the fourth installment of this. And now it's gone. Granted, Yelchin's not part of the picture anymore, which is how we got on this subject. But, uh, and, and, and that's terrible. I don't know how they would recast him or if they would just, you know, if they did do a fourth and final film, if they would just like write him out of it and like just, or, or, and I hope they wouldn't do this, like CG him in there or something and use like old <laughs> unused footage from the other movies and just kind of have him be there, but like not give him anything to do because they don't have enough footage to use. Like Leia and The Last Jedi or whatever they called that movie. <laughs> the Rise of Skywalker. That's what they called it. I all the Star Wars films. I can't even keep up with what title goes to what movie now. Oh, where Leia's never visibly talking to any one person. <laughs> <She's>, <laughs> she never has anybody by her side. Yeah, where everyone's feeding her her lines because they nobody know what she's gonna say. <laughs> nobody <sighs> be near me whilst I'm talking. Terrible tragedy. They had to write around it. Yeah, I get it, but it's like yeah. fuck, man. But that movie's a roller coaster. <laughs> yeah, no, hundred <laughs> percent. But uh, but that's not to say it's not entertaining. It's fun. But we're getting we're getting way way, way off way way off track off let's, the rails. Let's get let's get a little bit back on base. You want to check out the fourpeoplehistory.com? Uh, sure. You want me to look it up? Actually, uh, I've got. Let's see here. Do, 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 do. Let's share it right here. I got it pulled up right here. Can you see it? Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, check it out. Sorry, I got the yawns. Me too. Uh, so, if anybody's interested, the cost of living in 1985 uh, is as follows uh, yearly inflation rate in the USA is 3.55%. Uh, Year end close Dow Jones industrial average is 1546 I have no idea what that means. Maybe you do. Uh, in interest rates, year-end Federal Reserve is 10.75%. Average cost of new house is $89,330. Median price of an existing home is $75,500. Average income per year is $23,100. Average monthly rent is $375. Jeez, can we go back? Yeah, I'd like to do that. <laughs> Average price uh, for a new car is $9,005. Uh, below are some prices for uh, the UK guides in pounds sterling. Uh, the average price uh, of a house is £40,169. A gallon of petrol is one point eighty-eight. Yearly inflation rate in the UK is 9.50%. Interest rates year-end Bank of England is 11.38%. Uh, gallon of gas is uh, one buck oh nine in 1985. That's Amer That's back. We're back to American USD, everybody. Just yep. relax. Don't get your knickers in a twist. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, movie ticket price is. 2.75 cents $2.75 I thought we said it was like three something 
Yeah, so somewhere in there, I suppose, perhaps the prices went up that year, but that's quite a big jump in they one spiked. year. They uh, spiked! <laughs> well, there were so many great movies, they were like, get the prices up, fuck them. We gotta bump these numbers up. <laughs> They're just like doing lines and chain smoking. Uh, <laughs> I can handle 355, goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> that's not even a combo at Taco Bell. <laughs> <laughs> U.S. postage stamp costs twenty-two cents. Uh, bacon per pound costs a dollar sixty-five. Beanbag lounger. What the heck is that? What's a beanbag lounger? It's like a love sack. Oh, okay. <laughs> what the fuck? Why would that be added here? Okay. <laughs> well, just in case you beanbag lounger enthusiasts were interested, back then they used to cost thirty nine ninety nine. If the, and if they cost a penny more than that now, I don't want it. <laughs> Rainbow bright color kids was nine 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 ninety nine each. A ribeye steak per pound cost three eighty nine. I'll take what that. I'll buy that. Fuck. Oh, uh, I was like fucking uh, what fifteen dollars on average. Well, I, uh, I, I, I just bought a piece of meat the other day that was like, it was way outside of that price range, just to say that. And yeah. oh my God, like <laughs> $3.89 a pound. By the way, I love that anytime we look up anything on this website, bacon per pound is always like some unit of measurement to the time that we're looking up. <laughs> bacon per pound is, all, I mean, I get a gallon of gas and a movie ticket and a, and so a American. postage stamp, but I just love how it's like bacon per pound, like... And this is the first time we've ever seen the ribeye steak cost, and that's been the most devastating thing to my soul. Yeah. So cheap. <laughs> uh, and apparently in Elyria, Al- Ohio, two-bedroom condo overlooking the lake costs only $59,900. Apparently that was the spot to be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, I, I reckon they use like, like, mid, like mid-range shit. But Illyria, that sounds like a freaking elf from the Lord of the Rings. Illyria, will you take me to the lake house where it only costs us 59 grand to live? Yes, we'll overlook the lake. I'm not legalist. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody out there will get that. Uh, New new Coke was invented in 1985. Everybody hated it. And I really wish I could have tried it. Chew on this. Trident. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, In April of 1985, Coca-Cola introduced new Coke and what many observers declared to be the worst marketing blunder in history. At the time, Coca-Cola was a 99-year-old company looking for a way to update itself, and they chose to do so by changing the original formula of their iconic soft drink. They created a sweeter version that had been preferred in taste tests, but fans of the brand protested the decision in an overwhelmingly negative response. Within three months, Coca-Cola announced it would return to the old formula and tried to rebrand the drink as Coca-Cola Classic, and New Coke quickly disappeared. I really wish I could have tried it. Well, they (laughs) re-released it not that long ago uh, in partnership with Stranger Things. That's true. Yeah, and I never got my hands on one, so yeah. that's on me. But uh, I, I, I remember them touching on that. They're like, "You should try it. It's good." <laughs> like one person loved it, and the other person was like, "This is blasphemy." 
I think you and I are, are the same on this, but like regular Coke uh, or regular any soft drink is just, I don't know. Uh, we're both it's, in our early thirties. It's, it's just too sweet. Yeah. It's yeah. We're, we're, we're used to uh, diet drinks <laughs> uh, and they are getting better. I, I know, I know some of those synthetic sugars are horrible for you. So it's kind of like defeating the purpose, but uh, sugar is also poison in itself. So yeah. I, I, I just can't hang anymore. Like, just give me some, you know, black coffee. Uh, water is one of my favorite drinks nowadays, <laughs> aside from beer. I love water. Oh, it's so good. Water, good. Uh, so another interesting thing, Calvin and Hop's comic strip came about in 1985. Uh, debuted in newspaper, papiers? <laughs> papiers in Paris. <laughs> you did not read newspapers in Paris, you read papiers. <laughs> Uh, the popular comic strip Calvin and Hobbes makes its debut during November of 1985. Uh, created by Bill Watterson, Calvin, Calvin and Hobbes followed the adventures of a young boy, Calvin, and his stuffed animal tiger, Hobbes, while also exploring social, scientific, and philosophical ideas and issues. The comic was originally shown in 250 newspapers, but expanded to over 2,000 newspapers at its most popular point. The strip ended in December of 1995. Hey, that's that time period I was talking about. Hmm. Uh, but it is still used in papers throughout the world. Interesting. That's uh, quite an iconic piece of uh, cartooning right there. Yeah. I never delved too much into Calvin and Hobbes. But I know Calvin likes to pee on things. I saw, I love that you brought that up. I saw a truck with that sticker on the back for the first time in years last week. <laughs> that, 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 that sticker used to be everywhere. Everywhere growing up. Like Calvin yeah. was pissing on something. He's pissing on Chevy, pissing on Ford, pissing yeah. on Dodge. Like it, 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 it was, or pissing on like all three and somebody was driving a Toyota or something. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what the fuck? And in this particular sticker, he wasn't pissing on anything. It was just him peeing. Yeah. And I was like, oh, who are you trying to upset? Everyone? Like, <laughs> piss on me. Uh, like, piss on me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, piss on me. Uh, you want me to you want me to stay on the reins or? Oh, I, this one I found really interesting actually. Uh, the United States Route 66. Uh, so in the state of California, we actually live uh, quite close to Route 66. It's part of our everyday lives. We are always on Route 66. Yeah. Um, and uh, apparently in the year 1985, Route 66 was removed from the United States highway system. Uh, more information on Route 66, it says, number one, established in 1926, Route 66 was one of the first highways created in the United States highway system. Number two, it was immortalized in television, film, song, and literature. The iconic road spanned a total of 2,448 miles in length, and it ran from Chicago, Illinois, to Santa Monica, California. Um, uh, one of my favorites, get your kicks on Route 66. Number three, the road traveled through parts of Illinois, Missouri, Kansas, Oklahoma, New Mexico, Arizona, and California, uh, and was a popular path through the American Southwest during the 1920s until the 1960s. 
October 4, it fell into disrepair as it was replaced by the interstate system. And during June of 1985, the historic Route 66 was officially removed from the United States highway system. So that was Route 66 history for 1985. Um, Just kind of one long street. Kind of wild. So uh, something else uh, popular from 1985, uh, Nintendo releases the NES in North America, uh, debuting in October. Uh, the Nintendo Entertainment System, NES, was released in North American markets during October of 1985. The revolutionary home gaming system had been previously released in Japan during 1983. Uh, the NES was originally launched with 17 games, including Duck Hunt and Ice Climber. The system did not initially sell much as the market for video games had dropped. But with Nintendo's U.S. release of the breakout game Super Mario Bros. later that year, the NES soon caught on in the U.S. and was a popular item distributed throughout stores across the country in 1986. Uh, Yeah, it's crazy, man. Video, like, uh, in-home consoles, like, nearly died. And it was all thanks to one fucking game. Uh, And it was the the stupid Atari ET game that just... (laughs) was horrible (laughs) and they just thought it was going to be the shit and they made so many copies and like they all ended up in a landfill somewhere in like fucking central america and uh uh yeah um with arcades uh you know i i think even arcades were dwindling in popularity and people were just kind of like over video games and all of a sudden like nes comes out and and Mario Brothers is just like this amazing thing. And here we are today. Video games have like taken over as as the number one like driving force in media. Uh just about. And uh yeah, it's 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 crazy, man. It's crazy to think that like video games nearly died at one point. Um speaking of video games, uh is a a lot of them came out in 1985. You want to yeah, be interested you had, in that? Yeah, no, I remember you saying you had some info on like NES and Mario and stuff like that. So here's the games that came out in 1985. Uh, January, Konami releases Yi R Kung Fu, uh, which laid the foundations for modern fighting games, which I think is pretty fucking relevant. Uh, being an avid fighting game player myself. Uh, in March, uh, Tekkon releases a Gridion Fight, uh, an American football sports game. I remember seeing images of that game. I never played it. Uh, featuring the use of a dual trackball controls. In April, Atari Games releases Paperboy. I played the shit out of Paperboy too, but I think that was on my, uh, I think that was on my SNES. Superboy. I think I played on in like an emulator or something. Uh, with a controller modeled after bicycle handlebars. Really? Okay, I didn't know that. Huh. Uh, in May, Namco releases Metro Cross. I have no idea what that is. Uh, uh, also in May, uh, Konami releases Gradius, 
uh, called Nemesis elsewhere. In Japan, it was called Gradius. Elsewhere, it was called Nemesis. I'm familiar with Gradius. Gradius is, I believe, a track shooter. Uh, so something something akin to like Galaga, but like you know more more in depth. Uh, in May as well, Capcom releases Commando, uh, a vertically scrolling uh, on foot shooter, which inspires many games with similar themes and gameplay. In July, Namco releases. Baruduke, uh, also known as Alien Sector in the U.S., uh, scrolling shooter arcade game originally released in 1985. Yeah, hmm. we already know that. Uh, <laughs> in July, Sega releases Hang On by Yu Suzuki and AM2. It is the first of Sega's super scalar games. Uh, its motorbike cabinet is controlled using the body, starting uh, Taikon. A trend of motion-controlled hydraulic cabinets in arcades some two de- decades before motion controls become popular on video game consoles. Yeah, it was a minute before they, you know, started using that kind of technology in, in, in home co- consoles. Mm. September released, Capcom released Ghosts and Goblins. That's another big one. Uh, I, there's, there's a lot of them here, so I'm just going to, like, kind of skim through the lesser known ones uh in october atari released gauntlet uh, and that's about everything relevant now as for consoles in september namco released battle city for the famicom uh which is which is based on their older 1980 arcade game of tank battalion uh and then in September is when Nintendo released Super Mario Brothers, uh, which eventually sells 40 million copies, making it the best-selling video game of all time until 2008. It introduces Princess Peach, who was originally known as Princess Toadstool, Toad and Bowser to the Mario series, as well as common enemies and power-ups, including Goombas, Koopas, and Super Mushrooms, which were originally known as Magic Mushrooms, (laughs) Fire Flowers, and Starmen. Uh, it popularizes the side-scrolling platformer format. Uh, now, as for hardware, uh, we have uh, the last Commodore to be released. And it was, I believe it was the Commodore 128 computer. <laughs> um Okay, in June, count to eight. I'm just yeah, <laughs> it was a yeah, it was a eight. It was an eight bit computer. It was like one, two, eight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. Uh, yeah. So a lot of interesting tech came out in 1985, as well as uh, the greatest selling video game of all time. Uh, up until 2008, which I, I, I really want to know what undercut it now. I got a fun one. Go for it. I found a little bit of popular culture. <gasps> this one's fun. And I feel like I heard this somewhere. But Michael Jackson buys ATV music and every Beatles song for $47 million. <laughs> what is... Okay, 
this him buying every Beatles song is hilarious. But what the hell is ATV music? Oh man, it's for real and music, brother. No, uh, <laughs> no, I don't know. But I mean, apparently, that might have been the label that like had the rights to their shit at the time. Oh, okay. And Michael jumped on it. Michael jumped on it. And that explains his empire, too. Like, holy shit. (laughs) When you see how much money that guy had. Yeah. Yes, I want this. And I want those. And this. And there's like a team of people behind him that's like like writing it all down. Like, yes, yes, okay, we'll buy these. We'll buy those. Like, (laughs) I want some of these. And I want these for the new guest room. I want them. Like, he just points. And there's a team. Polly's, lollies, lick them lollies. Uh, fuck man and he's paying those people to help him shop so he can just I want to hire a team of people to follow me in the store and so that when I point they handle everything else for me (laughs) 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 oh that was a job for someone yeah I help Michael shop (laughs) are are you making a living yeah no it's it's good yeah he pays me really well (laughs) like what (laughs) hell yeah dude fucking crazy Oh, and then uh, blah, blah, blah. We saw New Coke uh, and all that stuff. But we didn't talk about popular musicians. And I thought this was kind of interesting. Um, at the top of the list was Duran Duran, uh, Simple Minds, uh, Madonna, Crazy for You, Bruce Springsteen, uh, Dire Straits with Money for Nothing, The Cure, Bowie. Dire Straits, throw it. Uh, Phil Collins. And of course, uh, we are the world. Uh, you know, I think that was part of like Live Aid and things like that uh, by yeah. USA for Africa, featuring many artists for Aid for Africa and Simple Minds. We are the world. That's where like all the fucking famous people were singing, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of famous folks in there. In fact, up here, I think they came uh, fam- a little bit. It was, uh, Ray Charles, Bob Dylan, Michael Jackson, Billy Joel, Cindy Lauper, Willie Nelson. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, Anna Ross, Paul Simon, Bruce Springsteen, Tina Turner, Stevie Wonder, Lionel Richie, Smokey Robinson, Kenny Rogers. Kenny Rogers. Um, Jackass. Thank you for immediately getting that Will Sasso reference. Fucking Will Sasso. So funny. (laughs) This is Kenny Rogers of Jackass. (laughs) Fucking drunk off his ass. Uh, um, the FDA approves the first blood test for AIDS. The first .com domain name is purchased. AIDS. Microsoft Corporation releases the first version of Windows 1.0. Switzerland is the first country to bring uh, into law the catalytic converter in cars. Uh, some, some, some efficient fueling there. Uh, compact discs, discs are introduced to the American consumers, so CDs start coming out. But you were rich if you had CDs. <laughs> uh, Space Shuttle Atlantis is launched. The UK starts screening blood donations for AIDS. Smart there. And British scientists discover a hole in Earth's ozone layer. Terrifying. Oh, no! Oh, and man. now we're all dying. <laughs> yep, now we're all dying. We let the virus in. <laughs> well... That wraps up any in- information that we've dug up on the year 1985 and popular culture, unless you have something else to add, Ian. Um, well, 1985 was a, was a good year for bacon. 
<laughs> and, and ribeye. And ribeye. And going to see the movies. And video games. And movies. And we're gonna we're gonna watch the stuff. Yeah, that's happening. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna do that. We're gonna set that up. That might be that might be uh uh next week's episode who knows it's gonna come up we're gonna watch it we're gonna figure out something to do with it but uh that's that's on the way and oreos will be involved yes double stuff (laughs) give me the double stuff give me the double stuff very cool well we already recommended new belgium uh mango hazy 1985 ipa uh so yeah if you can find it out there give it a shot I don't know why they call it 1985, but thank you, New Belgium, for coming up with a wonderful excuse for us to dive back into the 80s, as we love to do here on this podcast, and talk about popular culture. Uh, Ian, thank you for joining me. My pleasure. And uh, do you have anything to say to folks before we sign out? And you are space-wise, carry active Even in space, active believes in stuffy nose and sinuses, runny nose and sneezing. But you don't have to travel into space to get full-strength ActiFed. It's available without a prescription right here on Earth. ActiFed, the cold tablet most recommended by doctors. Now in capsules and 12-hour capsules.